0: So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for being here with us in person and online. We're always happy to see you and to have you tune in. For those of you who are joining us for the very first time today as a church, we are studying through Matthew's Gospel right now. And you happen to find yourself today uh, in the middle of a mini-series on the topic of true and false disciples within Matthew's Gospel. From Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, all the way through Matthew chapter 7, verse 27, Jesus gives us four different illustrations to help us know who is a true disciple and who is a false disciple. So take a look. First, he says that true disciples choose the narrow gate versus the wide. Next, he says that true disciples produce good fruit versus bad. Then he says that true disciples don't just claim him as Lord, there's a reality behind the claim. And then finally Jesus says that true disciples build their lives on a foundation of solid rock versus shifting sand. So there's two gates, there's two trees, there's two claims, and there's true foundations. And and what we choose, the narrow gate versus the wide the good tree or the bad tree, the, two claim, you know, the, the, the right claim or the wrong claim, the right foundation or the wrong foundation. What we claim reveals to God, reveals to ourselves, and reveals to others who we truly are, true or false disciples. The Bible teaches that on Judgment Day, Jesus will charge the angels to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the wheat from the chaff. These are three different ways of saying that on Judgment Day, Jesus is going to charge the angels to separate those who claim to be followers of Jesus and those who really are. And so in this series, we're we're doing this series to help prepare us uh, for that day. What we want to hear from Jesus on Judgment Day is, Well done, my good and faithful servant, not depart from me, I never knew you. And so we're doing this series towards that end. And each week, we're covering one of the four illustrations that Jesus has covered. Last week, we covered the narrow gate versus the wide gate. And so today, we're covering good fruit versus bad fruit in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. So again, good fruit versus bad fruit. Now, when I think of good fruit versus bad fruit, I can't help but think of a uh, recent uh, outing my family had, okay? Uh, it was Kristen and myself and several of my kids, and uh, we went strawberry-picking at McCarthy's Farm in Feeding Hills. And it was a lot of fun. And I actually took some pictures uh, from that outing. I pulled them up on my computer to show you. So here's the first one of Kristen and Jonathan and Barrett. And then uh, here's one uh, of of baby Andrew. Oh no, me and and baby Andrew, which I just love that picture so much. And then here's baby Andrew stealing strawberries. All right. Um, Yeah. Great pastor's kid, right? Stealing strawberries. His life of crime begins now. All right. And then here's one of Kristen and I. And, And then finally, here's Jonathan and Enjoying the spoils uh, after we went picking, and it was just a lot of fun. Um, while picking the strawberries, we had to be very careful because it was towards the end of the picking season, and by that time, a lot of the fruit fruit has ripened. Okay, if you have one kid. You can go strawberry picking anytime. When you have five, you go towards the end of the season when the price per container uh, drops, okay? And we were going by the end, we were going at the end of the, the season there, and, uh, but there was a lot of fruit that had spoiled by this time. So we had to investigate every single piece of fruit before putting it in our little basket to make sure that we were collecting good fruit. Well, in our text today, Jesus is going to tell us to take that same approach concerning what spiritual influences we allow into our life. What we're going to learn is that we shouldn't just listen to any old preacher. We shouldn't read any old Christian book. We should not watch any old Christian television broadcasting. We must be as discerning as people picking strawberries late in the season because there's a lot of rotten fruit out there that we would do well to avoid collecting. And this is what Jesus is getting at in our text today. So let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the disease tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them, meaning false prophets, by their fruits. If you're taking notes today, it'd be a great time to pull out your lesson notes. I'll give you a few fill-in-the-blanks as we go along, so that you have some hooks to hang your thoughts on as we work our way through the passage. The first thing that we see in our text today is what we're going to call the admonition, the admonition. And we see this in the first part of verse 15, where Jesus warns, beware of false prophets. Now, the word prophet here is simply a reference to someone who claims to speak for God. Many times when we think of the word prophet, we think of someone who foretells the future, but that's not the way the word is being used here. Here the word prophet is being used in its broadest sense to refer to someone who claims to be a representative of God and who claims to speak for God, but in reality, he does not. In the Bible, these false representatives of God are called by many names, They're called false brothers, false apostles, false teachers, false speakers, meaning they're liars, false witnesses, and false Christs. But though the nicknames are many, they all refer to the exact same thing. The person who claims to represent and speak for God, but does not. And so what we're dealing with today is any spiritual leader... Who might try and exert spiritual influence on our lives. Could be the pastor of a large church. Uh, could be someone you found on the internet. You know, Could be a, a missionary. Could be an evangelist. Um, You know, it could be the leader of some uh, parachurch ministry. So we're dealing with spiritual leaders and the influence they might seek to exert upon our lives. And Jesus lets us know that we need to beware because not everyone who claims to be a representative of God or speaks on his behalf has actually been sent by God. Bible commentator Warren Wearsby warns this, and I love this. He says, Satan is the counterfeiter. He has a false gospel preached by false ministers producing false Christians. And friends, this is the real danger of the false teacher. When we allow ourselves to be under the influence of a spiritual leader, it is our hope and our prayer that that spiritual leader will guide us to enter through the narrow gate so that we can be on the only path that leads to eternal life but when we expose ourselves to a false teacher to a false prophet the danger is that we'll be put on a path that does not lead to heaven rather a path that leads to hell and so we have to be careful this is precisely what the religious leaders of Israel uh, were doing. They were, represent, they were claiming to represent God. They were speaking in God's name, except they did not share a message from God. And so Jesus comes along and he accosts them as follows in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You see, the religious leaders of Israel were teaching that you are saved and will go to heaven if you physically descend from Abraham, if you are circumcised, and if you strictly adhere to the Mosaic law. But this was wrong. Yeah, it's what they taught the people. And so those who followed these leaders became twice the child of hell as their leaders because their leaders were false prophets. What they taught did not. Come from God. And friends, what a timely message for us. We live in the information age, right? I mean, there's so much material out there. And if we're not careful, we ourselves can come under the spiritual influence and tutelage of people who claim to represent God, but do not. And who claim to have a message from God that's not actually rooted in scripture. Sometimes I'll hear someone espousing a strange view that I know is not in accord with Scripture. And without fail, it comes from some sketchy website, some obscure podcast, some self-published book, or some social media post, all right? You guys know just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true, right? So we have to be careful. So, So let me equip you to get some good resources into your life. Here's the deal. If you want some supplemental uh, preaching outside of what you receive on Sunday, some some supplemental uh, spiritual exhortation, maybe outside of your small group, which I think is fine. But if you're looking for that, let's get you hooked up with some good resources. So if you're looking for a good preacher to listen to, here's what I want you to do. It's very simple. Go to Google and just type in expository preachers. And go ahead and read the first three or four search results. And what you're going to find are several names that come up over and over and over. I would recommend taking the top three and go ahead and listen to uh, a sermon of each person. And you're going to find someone that you best connect with. And that'll really help you to put on the right track. Because here's what you find without fail. The false prophet, the false teachers, the false apostles, uh, the false Christ, uh, they are not doing expository preaching. In expository preaching, you take the text, you study it to understand it in its original context so that you can pass along to your audience the message the original author had for that original audience. But without fail, the false prophet decides a message that he or she wants to share right off the start and then goes and picks different Bible verses out of their context to add weight and support to whatever message they've decided to share, which usually involves Uh, Supporting financially the upgrades on their private jet. So get out of that nonsense and search expository preachers. Check out a couple options. Make sure you're listening to a name that comes up over and over. Uh, Sometimes you'll see me quote these different people. Have you noticed a lot of times they're old? That's on purpose. I study and learn from people that have been following Jesus for decade after decade after decade and whose life has been consistently in line with the word of God. So friends, search expository preachers. That'll certainly put you on the right path if you want to be under the spiritual influence uh, of a preacher outside uh, of your local church or your small group. All right, now let's talk about books to read. Don't just read anything. I would recommend this. Do what I do. If I want to learn on a certain topic, I go to logos.com. This is where I get all the material from which I prepare my sermons. It's very scholarly. It's doctrinally sound. But go to logos.com and just search prayer. And you know what? A whole bunch of solid, doctrinally solid books on the subject of prayer will pop up and you can go ahead and order them right within logos or you can having the title, go ahead and order them on Amazon, have them shipped right to your house. But don't just read anything. Go ahead and make sure you get a recommendation that's been vetted uh, by scholars so that you can make sure what you're reading is in keeping with orthodoxy. All right, here's a recommendation for what to watch. Uh, I'm going to tell you there's a lot of garbage on Christian television. A lot of it seems to be filled with uh, prosperity preaching, uh, which is just absolute spiritual garbage. I'm not saying all of it is, but a lot of it is, and we have to be discerning. So something that we recommend is instead of watching garbage uh, on TV, why not check out Right Now Media? It's a great Christian resource. It's something we offer for free. Uh, You can sign up for it and register for it right within the New Day app. Um, You can go to guest services if you need help with that and we'll be happy to help you out. But these are resources that are filtered so that you're not getting a message from a false prophet. Now, the question begs, how is it that some well-meaning people people who love God and want to grow closer to him, how is it that they find themselves coming under the influence and the tutelage of a false prophet? I mean, how does this happen? Well, that's the question Jesus answers in the next part of our text. We've looked at the admonition, and now the second thing I want you to see in our text is what we're going to call the deception. And we see this in the second part of verse 15, where Jesus refers to false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, this verse is often misunderstood, so pay close attention so you can understand what it really means. In first century Palestine, the person who wore sheep's clothing was the shepherd. The shepherd would make clothing from the wool that came from the animals in his flock. Okay, the skin was on the outside, the wool touched the skin and kept the shepherd warm. So the person who comes in sheep's clothing, that is the shepherd. Therefore, here's your next two fill in the blanks, take a look. Therefore, the one who comes in sheep's clothing is the one who presents himself as a shepherd. A shepherd who ostensibly cares for the well-being of his sheep, but in reality is a wolf who will do the sheep great harm. So the reason so many people, to answer our question, the reason so many people, well-meaning people, are led astray, spiritually speaking, is because the false prophets don't present as false prophets. They, they don't wear a red outfit, okay, with horns on their head and carrying a pitchfork with a tail at the end. No, they present as loving, caring shepherds. To put it as Jesus did, they come in sheep's clothing. If they presented as wolves, everyone would be scared away, right? But in presenting as a loving, caring shepherd, many draw close and follow without suspicion. Now, this approach of being a wolf but presenting as a shepherd, this is following their true father, who is Satan, the Apostle Paul says of Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So we really shouldn't be surprised when Satan's emissaries take the same deceptive approach, coming and presenting as a loving, caring shepherd when in reality they are a ravenous wolf, meaning to do harm to the flock. Now, I want you to note that there's two different kinds of false prophets in the world. Those who know they're false prophets and those who don't. Some false prophets know that Christians are easy marks because we often don't listen to the words of Jesus where he says, beware, and we're not... uh, careful with who we expose ourselves to so we're invited to some revivalist meeting we're invited to some revival service and we go and we hear and someone says jesus and they quote a bible verse and they're funny and they're engaging and then at the end they ask for money and you're like oh it must be for real and we just go ahead and we and we get fleeced many of these people would think that instead of jesus saying uh, feed my sheep you would think that what he told them was fleece my sheep because that's all they do in the services I remember as a teenager being invited to one of these charismaniac meetings and, and they would just, you know, grab a scripture here, grab a scripture there, no matter what the text was, they didn't explain its meaning, they just used it and perverted it and twisted it so that at the end we were all encouraged to, to give all our money to, you know, uh, you know upgrade whatever you know, vehicle or means they needed, upgrade their private jet, do this, do that, and I was like, this is absolute garbage. Jesus calls the wolf ravenous. And the Greek word for ravenous can also be translated swindler. So the false prophet is often the swindler trying to free people from their financial resources for personal gain. And some people know they're doing this and they do it anyway. And these are false prophets who know they're false prophets. But then there are false prophets who don't know they're false prophets. They think they're teaching orthodoxy, but they themselves are deceived, and so they pass along their heretical teaching, their errant teaching, thinking that they're teaching right. Well, Paul warns in 2 Timothy chapter 3, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So being deceived themselves by the ultimate deceiver, such people can be thoroughly convinced in their own minds that their errant beliefs are true. And thus, they lead others astray. But the big takeaway here is this. Whether they know they're false prophets or they're deceived and don't realize that they are, either way, the false prophet always presents as a loving, caring shepherd out to do you uh, good, when in reality they are a ravenous wolf meaning to do harm to the sheep of God's flock. Now, I realize that a teaching like this can create fear. It can create the fear of being led astray. But I want to point out that Jesus does not say, be afraid of the false prophet. No, Jesus says, beware. In other words, be on guard. And we don't need to be afraid of the false prophet and of the false prophet's false teaching because the false prophet is actually easily identified. And that brings us to the third and final thing we see in our text. We're going to call it the identification. We need not fear false prophets. We need not fear being led away by their corrupting influence because Jesus tells us they are easily identified. And that's what he's getting at in verses 16 to 20. Jesus says, We need not fear being led astray because just as thorn bushes do not produce delicious grapes and just as thistles do not produce nutrient rich figs, so false teachers do not produce the fruit of genuine repentance. And that being the case, they are easily identified. Let me show you two verses. First comes from John chapter 15, verse eight. Jesus says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. But this very fruit that proves true discipleship is the very fruit that's missing from the lives of the false teachers. Likewise, the apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter five. He says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But these are all the godly characteristics that are conspicuously missing from the life of the false teacher. So not only is the good fruit that's supposed to be there missing, the bad fruit that's supposed to be absent from the life of a true follower of Jesus is present. As one commentator I read put it, if they are oriented to money, prestige, recognition, popularity, power, sexual looseness, and selfishness, they do not belong to Jesus Christ. If they are proud, arrogant, resentful, egotistical, and self-indulgent, they clearly are false prophets. So we see that we need not fear the false prophet or being led astray by them because they are easily identified by their fruit. The fruit, the good fruit that's supposed to be there, it's not in their life. The bad fruit that's not supposed to be there, you can easily spot it. Now, I understand that some of you are thinking, well, what about a leader whose life I can't easily observe? This is not a pastor at my local church. This is someone I'm listening to on the internet. They actually live overseas or they live across the country. Uh, You know, how can I tell if I'm not able to actually observe uh, the good fruit or the bad fruit coming out of their life? And that's easy, friends. Even if we cannot observe uh, the good or bad fruit coming out of their life, we can observe and evaluate their teaching. And what they teach will always betray them as a false prophet. John MacArthur writes this on this topic. He says, "'False prophets talk much about the love of God, "'but nothing of His holiness. "'Much about people who are deprived, "'but nothing about those who are depraved. "'Much about God's universal fatherhood of every human being, "'but nothing about His unique fatherhood, "'only of those who are His children "'through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ.'" The false prophets, they talk much about what God will give to us, but nothing about obedience to him. Much about health and happiness, but nothing about holiness and sacrifice. Their message is a message of gaps, the greatest gap of which leaves out the truth that saves. So friends, you can always identify the false teacher. There'll be an absence of teaching on holiness, obedience, uh, and sacrifice for the sake of the gospel in their teaching. But friends, this is the biggest indicator that someone is a false teacher, that someone is a false prophet. They will, without fail, teach a gospel other than the gospel of Christ that we find in the pages of Scripture. For example, if you're still taking notes, false teachers preach a works gospel. A works gospel. The false teacher will say that we should place our faith and trust in Jesus, but then also live a life of good works so that on Judgment Day, our good will outweigh our bad and we will be saved. And unfortunately, this is a teaching that's very prevalent in Catholicism, a works-oriented gospel. But friends, orthodoxy is this. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. When we place our faith in Jesus to forgive us of our sins, we are saved. Faith produces salvation and good works, but it's not that faith plus works equals salvation. When you have true faith, genuine faith in Jesus, it results in salvation, and those who genuinely experience salvation will live a life doing good works, because as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But the false prophet will always teach a a works gospel. And this goes directly against the clear teaching of Scripture. I mean, look what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God doesn't want anyone going around saying, I earned it. He wants us to be giving Him praise Because he provided for us something we didn't deserve and definitely didn't earn. But not only will the false teachers advocate a works gospel, secondly, they'll also advocate uh, a prosperity gospel. Like we hear from the leaders of the Word of Faith movement. According to these false teachers, the good news of the Bible is health and wealth. They say that the good news of the Bible is that because we belong to God, we can be wealthy and healthy if only we have enough faith. And this, of course, is absolute garbage. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, not guaranteed health and prosperity. Jesus promised persecution, not a bed of roses. So the good news of the gospel is not that if we come to Christ, all will go well with us, rather that through faith in Christ, our sins can be forgiven so that in the next life we can live in the kingdom of God where there will be no curse of sin. So beware of books entitled Your Best Life Now. Friends, the only people living their best life now are the unsaved. Because when they die, what they have to look forward to is an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. So if you're unsaved, it's true. You're living your best life now. But if you're a believer, this is far from your best life. In this life, we live under the curse of sin. And it's because of the curse of sin that we have sickness and disease and suffering and natural disasters and death. And no amount of faith allows us to escape the curse of sin on this side of eternity. But the true good news of the gospel is that through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven and we can become citizens of the kingdom of heaven where we will one day live forever without the curse of sin. So friends, we reject the prosperity gospel because it is not the gospel of Christ. But thirdly, we also reject what we call the sinless gospel. Advocates of the sinless gospel never mention sin in any of their sermons. Now, I'm not saying if you go with a friend and you visit a church while you're on vacation in some other part of the country and you heard a 40-minute sermon and, and there was no mention of sin in that particular one, it's a false teacher, it's a false prophet. But I will say this, if you listen to three or four or five or six or seven of those sermons and there's no mention of sin, you know one thing, you are under the influence of a false prophet. And do not think the person advocating a sinless gospel is going to come out and say, Worship Satan, you know? That's not what they do. It sounds good. There's a hint of orthodoxy in what they say. They might be funny. They're certainly going to include scripture in the sermon. But friends, if there's no mention of sin, it is not the gospel of Christ. Jesus came with a message saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent of what? Repent of your sin. And it's because of the teaching of Jesus that the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans spends three full chapters talking about how sinful his audience was before he ever shares with them the good news that because of God's grace, they can be saved from the penalty that God's law demands for sin, which is death. So we got to avoid anyone who won't talk about sin. Some people in our culture today, they say, oh, I'm going to offend so-and-so. If I bring up this topic, it doesn't square with the way our culture is going. And and they just never bring up anything controversial. They never confront sin. They never say, this is wrong. This is right. You know, this is what followers of Jesus do. This is what followers of Jesus don't. It's all just a happy, positive, uh, motivational, inspirational type message. And friends, it's a false message. Gospel. The sinless gospel is a false gospel. So beware. Refuse to allow yourself to be under a teacher who doesn't talk about sin. All right, I know I've covered a lot, as we do every week here at New Day, but let me summarize. False teachers are those who claim to represent God here on the earth and claim to be sent with a message from him but who in reality are not. We have to be vigilant about refusing to allow ourselves to be corrupted and led astray by their influence. But with that said, we do not need to be afraid of the false prophet because he is easily identified. The fruit of his life and teaching will not square with scripture, thus they are easily identified identified. If you're a follower of Jesus, the application today couldn't be more simple because Jesus just spells it out for us so clearly in this passage. The application, it's right from the text. It's beware. Beware. Be on guard. Don't just see some post online and go, oh, this must be great. Let me go listen to that. Be discerning do some research. Because again, Satan is the great counterfeiter, and he has a false gospel preached by false ministers that produces false Christians. And you don't want to believe your whole life you're a sheep when in reality you're a goat. You don't want to believe your whole life that you are wheat when in reality you're a a tear, a weed. You don't want to believe your whole life that you are wheat when in reality you are chaff. Chaff is destined for fire, Chaff is burned. Weed is brought into the barn. Now, for those of you who are not currently disciples of Jesus, you also need to beware. As we've learned today, there's many different Gospels floating out there, but there's only one Gospel that saves The problem with the works gospel, though it sounds good, it doesn't save. The problem with the prosperity gospel, though it sounds good, does not save. The problem with the sinless gospel is that it doesn't save either. It's only the gospel that we find in the Bible, the gospel of Christ, that has the power to save. The gospel of Christ is good news. But the gospel of Christ does not begin with good news. It begins with bad. The gospel of Christ begins with this message. We are sinners in need of a savior. We have sinned. We have violated God's law. We have fallen short of his glorious standard. And there's only one penalty for sin, which is death. The gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, it begins with a terrible, terrible message that we have sinned and offended a holy God. There's one penalty for sin, which is death. And because of sin, we will one day die physically. And if we die apart from Christ, we will suffer eternally. That's how the gospel of Christ begins. But I'm so thankful that that's not where the gospel of Christ ends. Because the gospel of Christ then continues and says, though you're a sinner who's violated God's law and who deserves the just punishment for sin, which is death, physical and spiritual, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. And friends, it's through that faith in Jesus to deal with the problem that sin has created, when we trust in Jesus to deal with the problem of death, we are saved. And yes, once saved, good works flow out of our life, but it's not the good works themselves that earn us our salvation. Salvation is by the grace of God through our faith in His one and only Son, Jesus who died on a cross so that he could take upon himself the punishment that our sin deserved. Friends, that is the gospel of Christ. And so Jesus says to believers and unbelievers alike, beware. If you're a believer, don't allow any spiritual influence to enter your life. That could put you on a path that leads to hell. But he also says, likewise, to those who are not currently disciples of Jesus, you too beware. Because there's a lot of gospels out there, and some of them are very attractive. I mean, who doesn't want to buy into the sinless gospel? I can be churchy. I can meet great people. I can have assurance of salvation. But I can just continue living however I want. Oh, how attractive is that? Because it's attractive, so many people buy into it. And that's why there's going to be a need one day on judgment day for Jesus to tell the angels, sort them out. Separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the wheat from the chaff. And again, in this series, we're trying to prepare you for that day. We want you to be a true disciple of Jesus. So on that day, you can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, not, I never knew you, depart from me into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Today, if you would like to accept the true gospel, the gospel of Christ, because you want to be saved and you don't want to be a goat, you want to be a sheep, you don't want to be a tare, you want to be wheat, you don't want to be chaff, you want to be wheat that'll be gathered into the barn a metaphorical way of saying you want to be gathered into the kingdom of heaven to live with Jesus forever. It'd be my great privilege to lead you in our closing prayer. So at this time, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Those of you online, don't tune out just yet. Join us in prayer, won't you? And in your heart, maybe you'd say this to God. Say, Heavenly Father, I accept the true gospel today. I believe that Jesus is your son and that he came to earth to live a sinless life. I believe that he died on a cross in my place and for my sins. And that three days later, he rose again. And I'm trusting in this Jesus to forgive my sins. I confess my sins and readily admit that I need saving from the just penalty that your law demands for sin, which is death. So God, please forgive me so that I can escape that penalty. And now, God, upon my confession, I humbly ask that by your grace and through my faith in Christ that you would grant to me eternal life, though I am so undeserving of such a wonderfully generous gift. And God, now that I am one of your children and a citizen in your kingdom, I do pray for help to be discerning in what I expose myself to as I work to grow in my knowledge and love of my Savior. God, protect me from the false prophet and bring into my life everyone whose aim is to help keep me on the straight and narrow path until that day where I will live with you forever in the eternal kingdom that you've appointed Jesus, my Savior, to rule over forever. I pray in his name. Amen.
1: Amen. 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 Thanks, Mike. Well, if you just prayed that prayer of salvation with Mike today, I just want to say a huge congratulations to you. Like I said earlier, we had over 70 people give their lives to Christ just this year. 70 people have made that decision and now you're one of them. So New Day, we celebrated for the 70 already. Can we celebrate for everybody else who just made that decision today? Awesome. Congratulations again to all of you. If you did make that decision, I'd love it if you could fill out your Connect card And check the box that says today I gave my life to Christ. If you do and you bring it to guest services in person, we have a Bible for you. And if you're online, we're going to mail you a Bible so you can get started on that new relationship with Jesus. So I mentioned a surprise earlier today, and it's not so much of a surprise because you saw the surprise out in the parking lot. It's an ice cream truck. We ordered ice cream for all of you because we really appreciate you and we know it's really hot. It's been really hot recently, so we wanted to help you kind of cool off. So the ice cream is out there. It's on us. If you haven't eaten breakfast yet, or if you haven't eaten lunch, feel free to enjoy some ice cream. I'm getting some uh, evil looks because I just said the ice cream is breakfast or ice cream is lunch. It totally is. It totally is. It's food. It's got milk in it. It's got protein. What kind of ice cream are you eating? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know any ice cream that has protein. Maybe with the peanuts on top. I have no idea. But. Maybe it's not like the most healthy meal option, but it is a meal if you want it to be. So it's out there. We've got lunch for you now. Um, So anyway, thank you all so much for being here today. Uh, Hope God blesses the rest of your week and your lunch.